You are listening to the Divorced Christian Podcast Show with your host and teacher, Darius Good. He is the senior pastor of Bible Gospel Center and founder of Good Treasure Ministries. He is the author of the books, Unlocking Godly Wisdom and The Divorced Christian. For more information, visit the website at thedivorcedchristian.com. And now here's your host, Darius Good. Welcome to another episode of the Divorced Christian Podcast Show. My name is Darius Good. Thank you for joining us on today. The book is now available. Visit the website, thedivorcedchristian.com. We also have a free PDF that's available. It includes chapter one and chapter 14 of the book. It'll cost you nothing to download it. You can find the link right in the notes of today's episode. But I believe chapter 14 is probably one of the most important chapters because a lot of people have based their um, thinking Of the teachings of divorce are built on the teachings of Jesus. And we cover that in chapter 14. We go through the the Greek words as well as the law of Moses. And we realize that Jesus was actually teaching one of the laws of Moses. It's a law that I've never heard taught in the Christian community. Never heard it taught in church, but it lines up uh, completely with what Jesus was explaining, not just there in Matthew chapter five in his Sermon on the Mount, but also in Matthew 19, when he's discussing the subject with the Pharisees and also in Mark in different passages. It's the same thing over and over that Jesus is saying, but because of our unfamiliarity with Greek words and also the laws of Moses, then we have drawn a erroneous conclusion And so chapter 14, if you don't purchase the book, please download the the free PDF. I guarantee it'll provide so much insight and understanding. Uh, We did our book signing over the weekend, even though we we released the book several months ago. um, We wanted to do a book signing where I could meet different ones that have purchased the book. And I also share some information that I have learned of late. And so at some point we will get to that information When I studied this subject out, I found so much information. I wasn't able to put everything into the book. Um, Sometimes it just led me down different paths. And so the information that I shared over the weekend, I will get on the podcast show. Um, I explain where a lot of our erroneous teachings on the subject of divorce came from. And it started somewhere around the first century after the death of Jesus or the resurrection of Jesus or the ascension, I should say, uh, after the death of the disciples Um, They're in Rome They began laying down this teaching That was very erroneous And so at some point we'll get into that teaching But on today I want to deal with the subject of Were Jesus disciples divorced? Very interesting question So today uh, stick with us This is episode 30 It's entitled Were Jesus disciples divorced? And we're going to be looking at chapter 5 Where we cover this particular subject In the book. When I was putting the book together, one of the first things that I discovered was the ketubah. The ketubah is the marriage agreement that was between the husband to be and the wife to be. Before a man and a woman could enter into a betrothal or a espoused period, they are required by the law of Moses to draft a ketubah. And so we don't find that word there in the scripture, 
But according to Jewish customs and Jewish rabbis, they point to Deuteronomy chapter 24, where this espousal period or the betrothal was now established by Moses. So in Deuteronomy chapter 24, verse one, it reads, when a man hath taken a wife and married her and it come to pass that she find no favor in his eyes because he hath found some uncleanness in her, then let him write her a bill of divorcement and give it in her hand and send her out of his house. What we've done is focused on the divorce and the process of divorce, the reason for divorce, not realizing that Deuteronomy 24 verse one also deals with the laws regarding marriage. If you go to the website, the divorced Christian.com at the bottom of the website, I have provided a list of resources. These are resources I used in putting the book together and I, I'm adding them as I go with the teachings in the podcast show, but I have a link there and it's called 613 mitzvah. The word mitzvah means laws or commandments. When Moses established the laws of God to govern the nation of Israel, it wasn't 10 commandments. It was 613 laws or 613 mitzvahs. And the Jews break it into two halves. There are 248 positive mitzvahs and there are 365 negative mitzvahs. And that brings us a total of 613 laws. So 240 things or 248 things you can do or should do and 365 things you are not permitted to do. And of course, it breaks down in severity. So sometimes there's fines. Sometimes there was floggings. There was also offerings that had to be presented, sometimes cleansing that would take place where a person was unclean for a period of time. And also the, the ultimate was uh, death, depending on the crime that was committed. So in Deuteronomy chapter 24, what we find is a law that Moses put in place. Now, if you click on the link that says 613 mitzvah, and it's broken into categories, which you will find is a grouping of, of laws. And you find laws that pertain to marriage, divorce, and family. Um, uh, laws that pertain to prayers and blessings. Laws that pertain to dietary requirements. Then there's laws that pertain to employment that deals with servants and slaves, what they were permitted to do what they were not permitted to do, laws pertaining to the Sabbath day, to the year of Jubilee. And so it's an excellent read if you just want to see the categories of the laws that Moses put into place. One of the laws involves marriage. You find marriage laws in every city, in every state, every country. There's going to be marriage laws that are put in place. I, as a pastor, I have the authority to marry couples in my state, but I cannot marry couples outside of my state. And if I'm going to perform a wedding outside of my state, I have to contact the city that I'm going to do the wedding in and they will give me permission. They grant me permission. And I've done uh, several weddings in different states and every process has been different. And so I follow their rules as they send me the list of what's required and they'll, they'll send me the documentation necessary 
to give me legal right to perform a marriage in another state and city. So we have marriage laws that are in place and Moses established marriage laws for the nation of Israel. If you look at the teachings of the Jews or a rabbi, what he will explain was the sacrament of marriage to take a wife by Kiddushan. We find that listed in Deuteronomy chapter 24, verse 1. As I said, we only focus on divorce, but this verse establishes the laws pertaining to marriage. When a man hath taken a wife and married her. So those are the two parts. This word taken is pronounced lekach, which means to take, to fetch. It uses the, the word uh, to buy or to acquire, but they understood that you're not buying a wife. You're not taking her uh, through possession. Um, you haven't paid for her, even though they might use the terms uh, bridal, bridal payment. Um, they use terms like that, but it doesn't mean that the man took ownership of the woman. Jacob did not own Rachel and Leah. Isaac did not own Rebekah. And all these laws were established by Moses based on the patriarchs. So that's Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. And of course, it would also include uh, Esau and Ishmael and all the, the 12 sons of Jacob. All their experiences helped frame the law of Moses, what God established for this nation that was newly Coming out of Egypt, they needed a law in place. Nations require a law. You can't have a, a nation without laws. So now Moses is not just requiring marriage, which was what they did. They would just take the woman. And during that time, they would just say in front of two witnesses, two or three witnesses, will you marry me? If the woman agreed, then they would basically go in the, into the house or the room and consummate the relationship. And she became his wife. Moses said, we got to put a structured system in place. So the first part of that system was to take a wife. And of course, in Jewish teachings, the woman always had the right to decide if she was going to be married or not. I've heard teachings in the church that state that women didn't have uh, any rights. They were treated like secondhand citizens. But that really did not ring true for the nation of Israel. Just read through the stories. You see uh, Rebecca being asked if she wants to marry Isaac. We see the story of, of course, the story of Rachel and Leah. They were both uh, playing the, 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 in league together, playing that trick on Jacob. But when you go through all the scriptures, uh, David getting married to Michael, the women had a right to say yes or no. And this is normal uh, and, and actually instituted by Moses where you could not marry your daughter off without her agreeing to the marriage. And so... Here in Deuteronomy 24, we find this verse, a man takes a wife and he marries her, the two parts of marriage. The first is the betrothal, where they would enter into this agreement. They would sign a document called the ketubah. The two families had to agree. Their marriage was spelled out exactly what they would and would not do. It's written into the marriage contract, the agreement, the ketubah, and mostly from the man's vantage point. And the man was required to put into the ketubah what the woman would receive in case of his death. So now she's a widow. What does she receive when he dies? And also in case of divorce. So now we have the ketubah, which 
this it outlines what the woman will receive if the man divorces her. That's in every ketubah. And then we have the dowry, which is given to the man that he has to maintain keep uh, safekeeping of and also return it to the woman in case of a divorce. So when I discovered these two things, I began to realize we can't find a lot of things in the scripture because divorce was just built into the system. So they don't discuss things that are just ordinary, everyday activity. So we don't have a lot written in the scripture, just blatantly written in the scripture in regards to divorce. And so this led me to now question if every Jewish man has a ketubah and every Jewish man has discussed the dowry with the father, which now once they entered into their betrothal, required a divorce if the man and woman were going to go their separate ways. Why? Because large exchanges of money. Um, there's a contract that is now in place. And so if the, the engagement was broken off, they may, were, they may have been required to now go see a judge because you have a binding legal contract in place, even though the couple is not necessarily or technically, I should say, technically married because they're not technically married until they are married, until they exchange their vows, their nuptials. So those are your two parts. The man takes the wife, enters into a betrothal, and he marries her. Now, the marriage usually takes place about a year following the betrothal. So during that period, there was a, a divorce that was required. And of course, I heard some Christians teach that's the only time they could get divorced, which is really bad teaching because based on Deuteronomy 24, um, the woman could not return to her husband if she consummated her relationship with another man. So obviously, they're talking about divorce clearly after the actual marriage has occurred. So to teach that Mary could only get divorced before actual marriage and then they weren't permitted to get divorced afterwards, completely erroneous teachings. But it raised a question for me, if all Jewish men have a ketubah, that would mean the disciples had to have a ketubah. These, these, or maybe they weren't married. So this began my investigation through the scriptures to find out were the disciples married? And if they were married, what happened to their wives? Did they divorce their wives? Did they just leave them, abandon them? Like what transpired? And I began going through, now if we begin at Matthew chapter 19, we have this conversation between Jesus and the rich young ruler. At Matthew 19, verse 16, it says, And behold, one came and said unto him, Good master, what good thing shall I do that I may have eternal life? Jesus said unto him, Why call me good? There is none good but one, that is God. But if you will enter into life, keep the commandments. He said unto him, Which commandments? And Jesus said, Thou shalt do no murder, thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not bear false witness. Honor your mother and father, and thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. And the young man said unto him, All these things have I kept from my youth up. What lack I yet? And so Jesus continued with this conversation. And at verse 19, Jesus said to him, If thou wilt be perfect, go and sell that thou hast. Give to the poor 
and thou shalt have treasure in heaven and come and follow me. But when the young man heard these things, he went away sorrowful for he had great possessions. Verse 23, then Jesus said to the disciples, verily, I say unto you that a rich man, a rich man shall hardly enter into the kingdom of heaven. And again, I say unto you, it is easier for a camel to go through it, the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. Usually the teachings regarding the rich young ruler stops there. But I continue in the book at verse 25 explaining. When the disciples heard this, they were exceedingly amazed and they said, who then can be saved? Jesus said to them with men, it is impossible, but with God, all things are possible. Then answered Peter and said unto him, behold, we have forsaken all and followed you. What shall we have therefore? All this is the same experience or conversation. And then at verse 28, Jesus said unto them, verily I say unto you, that you which have followed me in the regeneration, when the, man, when the son of man shall sit in the throne of his glory, you also shall sit upon 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. And everyone that has forsaken houses, brethren, sisters, fathers, mother or wife, or children or lands for my namesake shall receive a hundredfold and shall inherit eternal or everlasting life. And many that are first shall be last and the last shall be first. What I want to highlight is Jesus explained to the disciples what they will receive for making the difficult decision for forsaking all and following after him. But Jesus identified different things that they had forsaken. He explained houses, brothers, sister, father, mother, wives. That's what I want to highlight today. Wives. He also said he also said children and lands. He's talking to the disciples. So these men were married and they also had children. They had land. They had property in ownership and they forsook all to follow Jesus. Now, I want to point out a detail that many overlook in this conversation Jesus said the disciples have forsaken their wives, forsaken their wives. That's what Peter said. Peter said to Jesus, we have forsaken all. Now, we get this word forsaken, mistaken. <laughs> That's funny. The word uh, forsaken in this passage is A-P-H-I-E-M-I. -E and what it means is to send away, to release, to discharge, it means to bid going away or depart. And then specifically of a husband divorcing his wife. I want to point out that this is not the same word that Jesus used when he is on the cross and he cries out and says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? This is a very different word. That word, which can be found in Matthew 27, is spelled E-G-K-A-T-A-L-E-I-P-O. And that word means to abandon or desert. It means to leave in straits, to leave helpless. It talks about total abandonment, utterly forsaken, to leave behind among, to leave surviving. So these are two different words. 
And so Peter was basically saying to Jesus, we have abandoned, we have forsaken, we have and utterly released or divorced our wives. And when I saw this, it raised the question, once again, were the disciples divorced? It's a thought that many ministers don't give thought to. And I've asked quite a few, hey, uh, Jesus' disciples, were they married and did they get divorced? What happened to their wives? Oh, I never thought about it. Right. Because we just see the image of Jesus hanging out with his 12 friends. And that's not how that story transpired. Jewish men are considered men at the age of 13 when they experience their bar mitzvah. They generally are married by their late teens, early 20s, especially during that time period. And if you remember, they did not live long lives. Their life expectancy was much shorter than what we experience today. And women often died during childbirth. So women were getting married by 13, 14 years old. Men by 20 years old were being married. And so all Jewish men get married. Why? Because they teach based on what God said to Adam, be fruitful and multiply. They want to keep this commandment. And definitely those that were Pharisees, they, they adhered to that commandment from God. And so they followed the law of Moses and they got married rather young. The scripture actually talks about Peter's wife's mother. This is his mother-in-law. In Mark chapter 1, at verse 29, and forthwith, when they were come out of the synagogue, they entered into the house of Simon Peter and Andrew with James and John. Verse 30, but Simon's Peter, wife's mother, lay sick of a fever, and anon they tell her or tell him of her. And Jesus came and took her by the hand and lifted her up, and immediately the fever left. Now, if you go down to verse 35, it says, In the morning, rising up a great while before day, that means very early, he went out and departed into a solitary place and there prayed. Jesus got up very early and prayed. Verse 30, And Simon and they that were with him followed after him. So I believe it's very clear that Peter had a wife. And I believe it's safe to assume that the majority of the disciples were married because they were Jewish men. And so at verse 29, let's look at Mark 10, verse 29. Jesus makes this statement, same conversation. There is no man that hath left house, brethren, sisters, or father, mother, or wife, children, or lands for my sake and the gospel's. But he shall receive a hundredfold now in this time, houses, brethren, sisters, mothers, children, lands with persecution and in the world to come eternal life. Jesus said that they had forsaken wives. He's talking not just to Peter, but to all the disciples. These men abandoned their wives for Jesus Christ to go and follow him. And now that I'm coming to the understanding of Jewish culture in this word aguna, which means a chained woman, women were not permitted to initiate divorces with their husbands. They could only do so for a just cause. 
by permission of the court, by compelling or asking the court in certain situations, but they could not just go and initiate a divorce from their husband. So chain women, aguna is a term, very common term used in their towns, in Jewish towns in Israel, that referred to women that could not remarry because their husbands were gone. This was based on the law in Deuteronomy 24, because the law required the man to place the get or the bill of divorce into the woman's hand. So when you understand this, they left their wives. This would mean they either divorced their wives so that they freed them so they could become another man's wife, or they just went on and followed Jesus. And in doing so, they abandoned their wives, leaving them aguna, a chained woman, and they were not able to move on with their lives. And of course, back then, understand, men traveled and did business. Men would go off to battle, to war, so they would be gone for years. So this was a rather normal in their marital experiences of men being gone for lengthy amounts of time. So in this conversation, Jesus is acknowledging that his disciples forsook their wives. They left them. Now, I do want to highlight this as our teaching is coming to a close on today. In Mark 10, at verse 29, he says, there is no man that hath left house, brother, sister, father, mother, or wife. But notice in verse 30, he said, they're going to receive in this lifetime, house, brother, sister, mother, children, lands. He leaves out wife. And I always thought that was interesting. That's the one thing that he left out in this conversation. Why? Well, we do discover later in the book of Acts that the disciples did, in fact, go back and get their wives. Their wives actually accompanied them in ministry. So in 1 Corinthians 9, 5, Paul made this statement. Do we not have the right to the company of a believing wife like the other apostles and the Lord's brothers and Cephas, which was Peter? So we understand that the apostles traveled in ministry with their wives. This story helps us understand Jewish customs as well as the kingdom culture of the these men paid the ultimate price to follow Jesus unlike the young ruler thank you for joining us on today until next time be blessed you've been listening to the divorced Christian podcast show with your host Darius Good this was a Good Treasure Ministries production Darius is the senior pastor of Bible Gospel Center and he is the author of the book The Divorced Christian To learn more about this book and other books written by Darius, or to listen to other episodes of our podcast show, visit our website today at thedivorcedchristian.com. We pray that today's episode has brought revelation, understanding, and healing. Please like, share, and subscribe to our podcast show. And until next time, be blessed.